Lord, thanks again. You're the God of all living, the God of all life. Lord, you take even difficult, hurtful things and turn them around so that we are blessed. Uh, You're the only one who can do that. Thanks that all your good purposes, Lord, will ultimately be fulfilled when we see you face to face. We entrust ourselves, our lives, our hopes, our dreams in these lifetimes you give us on the earth into your care. In Jesus' name, amen. You guys know we're in the computer age. Uh, I remember years ago, I kept thinking one day I would buy a computer. You know, I would buy a computer, a computer, and and our family's probably purchased six, seven, eight computers since. You know, we've got at any given time six computers running in our house at the same time. It's crazy, but this is the time that we live in. Computers are the deal. You know, if you could take yourself back in time, I don't know if, when I was a kid, the computers, way back, Terry, way back, when computers had just started making the scene, do you remember they were as big as a room and they ran these data cards? I don't even know how they worked. I just knew they they were these big contraptions and they would turn out stacks of punch cards and somehow that made sense. I have no idea. I don't know what they called the systems. I don't even know how they worked. They just, but they did. That was the early version of computing. Now imagine if you were in the early field of computers And some guy comes along and he tells you, you know what, I can take a piece of hardware a fraction of this size and I can make it work through these direct commands, get rid of all your punch cards, and I can just streamline this. It's going to be life like you've never imagined it. You know, those guys with the big machine that's that's a phenomenon to them, they might say, you know, get out of here. No way. Can't happen. And, And who do you think you are? You know, and if the guy's name is Bill Gates, he'd come along and say, well, I've got a better idea, and it's DOS, direct operating system, and we're getting rid of those punch cards and all those other things, and we're creating this new computer language, new streamlined version of computing. And just imagine at the twilight of DOS that some guy comes along and he says, you know, I can do away with all these commands and prompts you've got to learn. I can come along and and I can give you WYSIWYG. Yeah. What you see is what you get. We'll get rid of all those prompts and those things you've got to learn and and I'll give you a mouse and a tail and you'll click something and whatever you click, you'll open it or you'll close it or it'll take you here or there. Those DOS guys look at you and they're like, what are you saying? That's not possible. But then Steve Jobs would say, no, it is. And here it is. And Bill Gates will copy it and he'll start again. But you see, if you go back and at the beginning of that computer generation, if somebody from the future would come back and say, I've got a a little better idea for you, they'd say, no way. And they'd say, and who do you think you are? You know, that you can come in here and tell us that it can be so much better than what we've got. When what we've got is a marvel and a phenomenon and is in itself what we kind of thought was as good as it gets. Or imagine, too, let's say you go back a uh, hundred years or so. One older gentleman that my wife talked to uh, talked about dividing history. It was pre and it was post bacteria. Um, I had grandparents, and uh, all of us did probably, who died of pneumonia. And things like that, that today 
are still serious medical issues, but are not life-threatening. Why? Because we've got antibiotics. We've got these miracle medicines, chemotherapy, cancer treatments, you name it. We've got now these marvels of medicine that we can treat things that in the past would have been life-ending. It was just a given. You couldn't do anything about it. So, you know, back in the days of poultices and herbs, if you told somebody that you were coming up with a miracle drug that would kill those bad things in their body and would give them life, they'd tell you, no way. Who do you think you are? You know, it's said that George Washington was probably killed by his physicians because the medicine of that day said you get rid of the blood with the bad stuff in it so that you'll get better. And, you know, they literally would bleed patients to death. So if you went back very far in medical history and you told them what was to come, they'd look at you like you were crazy. Or think about this. Go back to Alexander Graham Bell. Now here's a genius and a hard worker. And what's he do? You know, one day, who's he talk to upstairs? You know, anyway. Thank you, Watson. Got a telephone. Now let's say Bell has just broken through the sound barrier. The telephone's been created and we start running our wires and stuff. And, and you come up and you tell Alexander... You know, it's not a bad idea, but I've got one better. We're going to go wireless. And everyone will carry phones in their pockets. And they'll be beamed off satellites from space, you know. Alexander would look at you, you know, like, where did you come from? You know, impossible. Seems impossible. Because what he had was good. It was the fruit of all this long, hard work. And he comes up and there's this great thing. But it's hard to imagine that anything would be better. And so he'd probably say with the other guys, you know, it's impossible, and who do you think you are anyway? And with those things in in mind, we're going to look in John 8 this morning. We're going to look from verses 48 to the end of the chapter, verse 59. And as we go there, you know, think of this. It's uh, a thing in its time is appropriate. Solomon said everything is beautiful, lovely in its time. But you know... A thing out of its time loses its savor, loses its value. If we hold on to something when it should be occluded by something better, we lose out. We lose out of a real benefit if we fail to recognize that something better has come along. And that's the dilemma the Jews find themselves in in this conversation with Jesus in John 8. And if you remember... This is the same discussion we've been in for several weeks. We conclude it today. Jesus is in this ongoing debate back and forth with his Jewish audience. Last week, by the way, so the opening verse makes sense, Jesus was talking about your patronage. Where is your father? Where is your lineage, spiritual lineage from? And he told his Jewish audience that God the Father was not their father, that the devil was. So now, like children name-calling, they respond back to Jesus. Verse 48, the Jews answered and said to him, Do we not say rightly that you are a Samaritan and have a demon? Jesus says, You're of your father the devil. They say, No, but you're a Samaritan and you have a demon. And Samaritan is the lowly of the lowly. This is the, the, the dregs of society for a Jew. So their response to Jesus is, No, but you have a demon and you're a Samaritan. You know, they're trying to one-up him. Jesus answered, I don't have a demon, but I honor my father, and you dishonor me. But I do not seek my glory. There is one who seeks and judges, that is, the father. Verse 51, truly, truly, I say to you, if anyone keeps my word, 
he will never see death. You'll notice in John's Gospel, by the way, anytime Jesus has managed to offend a group, he manages to offend them again and again and again. It's quite intentional. He one-ups constantly. The Jews said to him, Now we know that you have a demon. Abraham died and the prophets. And you say, If anyone keeps my word, he will never taste of death. Surely you are not greater than our father Abraham who died. The prophets died too. Who do you think you are? Who do you make yourself out to be? Jesus answered, If I glorify myself, my glory is nothing. It's my Father who glorifies me, of whom you say, He is our God. And you have not come to know Him, but I know Him. And if I say that I don't know Him, I will be a liar like you. But I do know Him and keep His word. Your father Abraham rejoiced to see my day. He saw it and was glad. So the Jews said to him, You are not fifty years old yet, and have you seen Abraham? Jesus said to them, Truly, truly, I say to you, before Abraham was born, I am. Therefore they picked up stones to throw at him. But Jesus hid himself and went out of the temple. By the way, just to comment, verse 59. Do you remember how chapter 8 started? The Jews picking up stones to stone a woman caught in adultery. And how does chapter 8 end? The Jews picking up stones to stone Jesus, the one who forgave her. And also, Jesus had said repeatedly, we looked at last week, you're of your father the devil, he's a murderer. You seek to kill me, you seek to kill me, you seek to kill me. And here they pick up stones to kill him. They demonstrate their patronage by their actions. We're going to break this passage up piecemeal a little bit. I'm going to start at the back, then we'll go to the front, then we'll land in the middle to close the time. What does Jesus mean when he says in verse 56, your father Abraham rejoiced to see my day. What did Abraham see? What does this mean when Jesus says Abraham rejoiced to see my day? I'm going to offer two suggestions. I think it could be either or it could be both of these. Do you remember the story in Genesis 18 when Abraham is parked by some oak trees and these guys come up to his tent and one of them is the Lord? And you probably know, but in many stories in the Old Testament, when it says the angel of the Lord, you should probably understand that means Jesus Christ. Not Jesus born of Mary, but God the Son appearing as this character called the angel of the Lord. This is throughout the Old Testament stories. And the text tells us it is the Lord. We're not guessing about this. It says in Genesis 18, verse 1, The Lord appeared to him by the oaks of Mamre. We know that this trio of angels, that one is the Lord. The other two, if you remember, continue on after this dialogue with Abram, and they go to destroy the cities of Sodom and Gomorrah. But the Lord has this conversation with Abram in Genesis 18 and verse 10. He, the Lord, said, I will surely return to you at this time next year. Sarah, your wife, will have a son. Verse 13, the Lord said to Abraham, why did Sarah laugh? Verse 14, is anything too difficult for the Lord? Abraham saw Jesus, in this sense at least, in the person of the angel of the Lord. Not Jesus by name, since Jesus, God the Son, wasn't born yet, but the second person of the Trinity taking on this human appearance in this personage called the angel of the Lord. So Abraham saw him, and he knows who he is. That's Genesis 18. In Genesis 22, do you remember the story where now 
Isaac has been born, this child of promise, born to these two people who are far too old to have a child. He's been born. He's growing up. He's a young man. And now God the Father speaks to Abraham and says, Take your son, your only son, whom you love. Take him up to the mountains. I'll show you and offer him as a sacrifice there to me. You remember Genesis 22. So Isaac and Abraham go up to the mountain of Moriah. And Isaac says, uh, Dad, gosh, here's the fire and the wood. And where's the lamb for this offering we're going up to make? And, and Father Abraham says, well, God will provide for himself the lamb. God will provide the lamb. So Father Abraham binds up young son Isaac, raises the knife, getting ready to strike, do just as God the Father has told him. Verse 11 in chapter 22 of Genesis, but the angel of the Lord called to him from heaven. The angel of the Lord called to him from heaven and said, Abraham, here I am, don't stretch out your hand against the lad. Do nothing to harm him. Abraham raised his eyes and looked, and behold, behind him a ram caught in the thicket by his horns. And Abraham went and took the ram, offered him up for a burnt offering in the place of his son. This substitute took the place of his son. The offering was still made. Verse 15, the angel of the Lord called to Abraham a second time from heaven. By myself I have sworn, because you've done this thing and not withheld your son, your only son, I'll bless you. I'll multiply your children as the stars of the heavens and the sand on the sea. In your seed, in your descendant, all the nations of the earth will be blessed. Here, Abraham hears the angel of the Lord, God the Son, the second person of the Trinity, saying, Stop, don't kill your son. And he sees the ram caught in the thicket. And this is where the terms, the, the names for God, Jehovah Jireh, God will provide, is from Abraham right here. In both occasions, Abraham sees and or hears God the Son as the angel of the Lord sees his day. He sees him. And I think when Jesus says, Abraham rejoiced to see my day, he's referring to one or both of these occasions when Abraham saw and or heard the angel of the Lord directly immediately in his life and rejoiced. Remember in the first occasion, rejoicing, because the angel says, you're going to get your boy. You're going to get that son you waited for. And in the second, because that son he waited for is spared because he's replaced by what Jehovah provides in this ram instead of his own son. Cause of rejoicing both times. So my suspicion is one or both of these stories is reflected in what Jesus says, Abraham rejoiced to see my day. That's probably what he's talking about. Um, go now back to the front end of the passage. In verse 51, Jesus says, uh, Those who keep my word, truly, truly, I say to you, if anyone keeps my word, he will never see death. What does it mean to keep his word? We might jump to the conclusion that keep his word here means to believe. Remember, John's gospel is written so that we'll believe, and then when we believe, we get life. I think that's a mistake. I don't think that's what Jesus is talking about. Keeps my word means to keep it or to guard it. I think, frankly, it, it harkens right back to the passage in, in uh, John 8, verses 30, 31 and 32, where Jesus says, if you'll live in my word, you'll be my disciples, and you'll know the truth, and the truth will make you free. That is, the experience of your life, if you live in my word, will bring about Freedom, you won't be bound up by your own sins, you'll experience freedom. Here Jesus says similarly, if you'll keep my word, 
You've got to know His Word, and you've got to do it, keep it, guard it. It's something that you do. It's not that initial act of believing that brings you into God's family. It's this day-by-day consistency of being in His Word to know the truth and then doing it or keeping it, guarding His Word. And then he says, those who will guard His Word, keep it, will never see death. They'll never see death. Now again, I think if we jump to conclusions, we probably say that means that you have eternal life. You'll never see death. That would go along with John 11 when Jesus says, related to Lazarus, you know, those who believe in me, they'll never die. That is, they'll never be separated from the Father. And again, my suspicion is that would be the wrong conclusion. I think in context, this also goes back to that same thought in verse 31 and 32, where in 31 and 32, knowing the truth and living in it brings you freedom. I think Jesus here says, those who know my word and keep it, they guard the truth, they live in the truth, they keep my word. What they get is, they get a lifetime marked from the freedom of the experience of death. You guys remember, we've looked and talked about this before. Romans says, if you sin, you die. And even for Christians, when we sin, not thinking about eternal separation, but when we sin, we will get the benefit of that sin, which is the experience of death in one way or another. Remember, death is separation. That, that de- the sin that we practice will bring about something. Paul says in Galatians, don't be deceived, God isn't mocked. If you sow to the flesh, you're going to reap from the flesh. It's going to produce something, and that something, whatever it looks like, you can call it death. So Jesus says here, just like he had about freedom, if you'll live in my word, you'll know the truth and you'll get freedom. Here he says, if you'll keep my word, you'll get life. You'll be preserved from the experience of death in your days on this earth. Yes, you get eternal life when you believe in Jesus, But when you keep his word, when you live in his word, you also get, along with freedom, you get life. You get freedom from the experience of death. So he tells us here, keep my word and all your days you'll get life. Now this sounds pretty good. You get life. You get freedom, you get life. If you live, abide, keep my word. Now it sounds so good that Jesus' audience is saying it's too good to be true. Too good to be true. And by the way, who do you think you are to make these extravagant promises? Who do you think you are? Which leads us to the middle and where we'll park for our short duration here. Who do you think you are? You young whippersnapper up there from Galilee. Who do you think you are? Who do you claim to be? Verse 53, they say to him, he said, hey, keep my word. You'll never see death. They say, You're not greater than our father Abraham who died. The prophets died too. Whom do you make yourself out to be? Who do you claim to be? Who are you to come in here and make these wild, extravagant claims? That's when Jesus said, before Abraham was, I am. And remember, who's their comparison here? Abraham and the prophets. Now, Jesus' group looks back and they say, we know Abraham. God spoke to him. And God spoke to the prophets. And we hang our hat on Abraham, good old Abe, father of the faith, the one that God called out of Haran and he left and he didn't know where he was going, but he parked here in Palestine and he had that promised son Isaac and he started this line that we all hail from now. Abraham's our father. And Jesus says this crazy thing before he was, I am. You remember we've talked about this already, but the I am is significant, isn't it? 
Because to the Jews, they understand this is a claim to deity. So that just as God identified himself to Moses for Israel in Exodus, when they say, who sent you, Moses? Then Moses is to say, I am sent me. That is, in Greek we'd say I am. But you know this is how we get the name Yahweh from the Hebrew letters, I am that I am. And then we stick some vowels in. I am sent me. So when Jesus says, before Abraham was, I am, he is again making this claim to deity. He's saying, I am Yahweh. I am the God of Abraham. Before Abraham was, Yahweh was. Before Abraham was, I am. That's the same thing he says here, ego, Amy, for our Greek class. Sounds like Amy. Amy? So here is Jesus, and he comes to a group who says, Abraham's our dad, and we're going to stick with Abe. And Jesus comes along and says, well, I've got something better than Abraham had. Now, he's not denigrating Abraham. Not denigrating Abraham. He's just saying, I've got something better that Abraham can't offer you. And think about this. Jesus in John 8, Jesus has told them he's offering them freedom from sin, both its penalty and its power. Now he's offering them freedom from sin and its fruit of death. Abraham couldn't promise that. Abraham never promised that. Abraham offers them physical life, but not spiritual. And the life Abraham gives them, it ends. So they're looking back to Abraham and they're hanging their hat on Abe, but they're rejecting Jesus who comes along and says, yeah, Abe was good in his time, but I'm better and I've got something better to offer you. Think about it this way. Jesus comes along in a DOS world and offers windows. Or Jesus comes along to a world of poultices and salves and offers antibiotics. And if we say like the Jews, what I've got is good enough, we're saying no to the improvement or to the better benefit that Bill Gates or Steve Jobs or Pasteur and all the other scientists are offering us because we're hanging our hat on what was good in its day but which has been occluded because something and something better has come along. You know, if you're ever tempted to make a man or a woman your hero or to hang your hat on a particular movement or cause, ask yourself this question. What happens to that person, that place, that thing, that cause, whatever that I'm hanging my hat on? What happens to them? That is, what's their destiny? How far down the road can they take me? If it's a person, they die. So if you hang your hat on a person, you're hanging your hat on dust. Dust. In fact, think of the great words of Isaiah. You know, when Isaiah is looking at the greatness of God and the smallness of man, he says, you know, that the world is like a grain of dust on the eternal scales. So here's a speck. Abraham, on a grain of dust, the world, and the Jewish audience is saying, that's who we hang our hat on. Well, in the great scheme of things, no. And of course, Abraham never wanted this. The Jews are using Abe in a way he would never have condoned. Because 
Abraham is the father of all who believe. Abe was always looking for that better city, that better land that God himself was founding, that God was the author of. So Abraham would never have told this audience to hang their hat on him. He's the speck of dust that's pointing to the eternal architect of the universe. And then the architect comes in and stands in their midst and they say, we like Abe. Well, what a distortion. Abe's great. Abe's good in his time. But someone has come along with something better and you reject it at your peril. Remember earlier in this chapter, Jesus had said he was the light of the world. Earlier earlier in this chapter, he had said that he was life so that if you believed in him, you got eternal life. And if you rejected him, you'd get death instead. Jesus makes these great claims. Their response is, well... Who are you to make these wild claims? And we're just not so sure we can believe it's true. Now, it's easy to look back, of course, at Jesus' audience and say, gosh, they didn't get it. But, you know, I suspect if you look in your life and you ask yourself these questions, what am I hanging my hopes on for some quality of life in this lifetime? Where do I put my focus? Where do I invest my time, my money, my energy, because typically that's where we're hanging our hat. Your focus basically determines your outcome, doesn't it? Where are you putting your energy, your time, your money, your focus? Where is it? And then ask yourself this. Let's just say that I'm a sports fanatic. How far can that sports activity take me? Or if my life, if I'm hanging the hopes of of freedom in life and the experience of life during my days on the earth, and my key investment is in the stock market or business venture, or really even another person or a movement, how far can that person or that stock market take me? What's their end? How big a promise can they deliver on? And then ask yourself, is that big enough for me? Is that a big enough hope for my life? And not just for time, but for eternity. Because like Abraham, in the end, we're all specks of dust. We're here for a short day, the blink of an eye, and our time's over. And then we walk into eternity. And ask yourself, are the investments in my life of such a quality such an origin, that they'll keep me from the experience of death in this life? And can I look back from eternity on my investments and say, good choice, good choice. Jesus says here, just as he had earlier, if you'll live in my word, you won't just get freedom, you'll get life. And you'll escape the touch of death. Uh, The Eastlands, uh, someone's going to experience death sooner or later. I was talking to someone about this last night. You know, many of us, let's say if we've got a sickness that we consider terminal, we have a view of life that says, I'm only here for a short time. Well, it changes the way we interact with everyone and everything. The truth is, though, none of us knows that we have the rest of today, much less tomorrow or next week or next month or next year. People die all the time, every day, who didn't know they were going to die. If we all took this view 
that death could occur for me at any time, it would totally change the way we're looking at life and what we're focusing on. Jesus says here, if your life is long or short, if you'll live in my word and the truth of the scriptures, you'll experience all your days, long or short, you'll experience freedom and life. Freedom and life. You'll be living in a Windows world. You'll be pointing your mouse and clicking instead of trying to memorize lists and punch them in. You'll be taking antibiotics and getting rid of that cold or that pneumonia. You'll be fighting to live another day, so to speak, instead of being taken away by the experience of death or bondage. So don't just write off the audience Jesus is addressing here, but ask yourself this week maybe two things. To what degree... Am I keeping God's word? And again, this is not legalism. This is not, am I jumping through hoop after hoop? But to what degree is my life characterized by spending time in God's word and then doing it? Do you remember Jesus says in the Sermon on the Mount, the wise man is the one who heard my word and then he did it. And then his house is like that rock, the house on the rock that can't be shaken. He took his word and he did it. And that's what Jesus is talking about here. Is my life characterized by living in God's word and doing it? And then ask yourself this too. Am I hanging my hat, am I hanging my hopes on things in this life like the Jews did with Father Abraham that really aren't Jesus and really don't measure up to that status? I don't know what it would be. It could be anything or everything. I could be looking for significance in life through my job, or through my children, through how much money I have to spend, on how much food or what kind I eat, on my vacation. There's all kinds of things I could be hanging my hat on to hope that I gain the experience of life and freedom from death. And just ask yourself that this week. To what degree am I living and keeping God's word? And am I hanging my hat on anything else that in the end is going to come up short? Do I need the antibiotics or am I using... Poultices, do I want to live in the, the uh, what-you-see-is-what-you-get world or am I still languishing in DOS? But Jesus says he's it. And when they say, who do you think you are? He says, I'm it. I'm God. I'm Yahweh. I'm Jehovah. And if you'll hang your hat on me, if you'll live in my word, you'll get the benefits I give, freedom from the penalty and the presence of sin, freedom from death, the experience of life. All of us want that. Jesus says he's the one who gets it and we gain the experience or the benefit of it when we live in and when we keep his word. And if you're not doing it, start this week. This is my hobby horse again. Just start getting up each day and starting each day with the Lord in his word. You can't keep what you don't know. You can't be freed from from the truth if you don't know what the truth is. Start your day with the Lord in His Word. And just ask Him, Lord, today, help me to do the things You've given me to do. No no more complicated than that. Lord, today, let me start in Your Word. Let me live in it. And today, You just show me how it is that I keep Your Word. Let's pray. Lord, I'm struck by the simplicity of Jesus' message to His Jewish audience. It was simply that they needed to replace the old with the new. Lord, it was that he was instituting, he who had the power and the right to, he who instituted, Lord, that first 
covenant with Israel on Mount Sinai. He was instituting a new covenant, Lord, and with blood better than bulls with his own. Lord, help us to walk in the benefit of this new covenant Jesus has blessed us with. Help us not to linger in the shadows of hopes that are deficient, but to walk in the full light of day that your word, your spirit in us provides. Lord, I pray that we come to your word hungry and go away satisfied. I pray that we come recognizing our bondage and we walk away free. Lord, I pray that we come to you with the experience of death because of our sins and we walk away experiencing and savoring life because that's what you and your word give us. Father, make us those who are characterized as those who know you and as those who live in and keep your word and might the essence, Lord, or the aroma of life and freedom be what characterize each one of us. In Jesus' name, amen.